What's it like to have fibromyalgia? Are there any revolutionary new ways to deal with it? And does cannabis really help? All that and more to come on episode number 12 of Ben's Learning Lounge. Today we'll be sitting down with Alex, also known online as Invisibly Chronic, to talk a little bit about fibromyalgia, emetophobia, and the role childhood trauma might have in influencing those conditions. Feel free to look in the description for some timestamps of noteworthy conversations that were had throughout the episode. I hope you enjoy. So first of all, we're going to ease our way into this lovely topic, uh, heartwarming topic. <laughs> Tell me a bit about like who you are and where you come from and, and what you do, all that kind of stuff. Okay, well, I am 24. I just turned 24. I'm from Quebec, Canada, so I'm French-Canadian. I lived in the UK for a bit, and with the pandemic losing my job, I decided to start an Instagram page and a blog. And I've just been doing that. Now I've moved back to Canada, living with my mom. And yeah, just been doing that pretty much. Oh, it's a shame to hear about the, the job loss as well during COVID. So many people have managed to lose their jobs. Yeah, that. it was crazy. <laughs> hey, I mean, you've come from, where, did, where were you about to be in the UK? Um, I was in Staines. Where the, where, where? It's like Southwest London, like a bit. Oh, you see, you see, I'd have no idea because I'm a northerner. So I, if it's if it's south of Birmingham, you're gonna lose me. Oh, okay. Well, London, <laughs> around London. London. Yeah. Gotcha, London. Hey, well, that's good. That's good to hear. And you know, you mentioned you got an Instagram account, which is exactly how I think I found you through that. Because yes. um, very good. People should definitely check that out. I mean, I'm gonna shout it out later, but here's a preemptive oh, shout out nice. that Thank when you. we do bring it up, <laughs> you have to go to an Insta account. It's full of full of good stuff, full of goodies. So, what I know about you, Alexia, is that you have fibromyalgia. Yes, I do. Tell me a little bit about that. What's that like? I, I don't know how that works. Okay, so basically fibromyalgia is a chronic illness that is mostly described as widespread musculoskeletal pain, uh, but mm. it also has symptoms like brain fog, so it affects your head. It's also uh, related to, you know, mood issues and sleep and fatigue. Yeah, that's pretty much that. It has over like 200 symptoms. I'm sorry. You can't just gloss. You can't can't just say, oh, yeah, by the way, it's uh, it's a musculoskeletal thing. You get kind of tired and sometimes. uh, Oh, and there's 200 other things, just so you know. Like... (laughs) What what kind of breadth of things of symptoms do you would you say that you get with it? Oh my goodness, so many. Um, oh no. For example, um, I get a lot of brain fog. I get basically chronic headaches all the time. A lot of pain <laughs> everywhere. Mm-hmm. A lot of fatigue as well. What kind of pain is that? Like, is that what what kind of what does it feel like to have pain? That's what is it like muscular, muscular skeletal? Skeletorial. It feels like basically you worked out way too much and you're really sore, but all the time and everywhere. It's also affecting the joints, so it's not necessarily like one kind of pain. It's like loads of different ones. There's moving pain. There's like pins and needles. Like I get them in my hands and feet. Mm-hmm. Um, I get muscle spasms. Um, there's like some feeling of electric shocks sometimes. Like it's wow. really random. 
Yeah, it sounds like you you get like the the potluck version of pain there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> how how would you rate the level of pain then for you personally, and and does that change from person to person? I think it does. Um, I really think it does differ from person to person because everyone feels pain differently, feels everything differently. Basically, I would say it depends on the days as well. There's flare ups like today. It's been raining, and since yesterday, I've just been in pain, in more pain than usual. Um, mm. It usually ranges at like a five maybe on a day-to-day basis, five out of ten. That's like a constant five as well. Yeah, yeah, always. Wow. There'll be a lot of people listening to this who probably have heard of fibromyalgia. I've heard a little bit more from it just due to my circles, you know, with, with chronic fatigue. And I know that there's sometimes a little bit of, of overlap there. but. Yeah. Like, how, how does this get diagnosed is, is what I'm trying to ask. Do you just say you've got, like, a pain issue and it's it's that? Or how do you know for sure that that's what it is? Can, can they look at your muscles and go, ah, well, you have this? Um, yeah, so that's the thing with fibro. There's no, like, specific test to get you diagnosed. It's basically an elimination game. Like, you just do all the blood tests and everything to eliminate every other condition, like arthritis and... I don't know what other conditions, but there's there's so many blood tests uh, to be done. And it's also with the symptoms, like I think uh, doctors have a chart of like the different areas of where fibromyalgia patients have pain. I think there's like 13 different mm. points where you're supposed to be in pain where you, when you have fibro. And that's how wow. they kind of diagnose it, but it's, it's not like for sure. <laughs> It's not like a blood test that diagnoses it. Yeah, because that's what you would expect, right? Of course, there are similarities here with CFS that it's sort of like a, it's an elimination term. It's it's an umbrella term for the things that they don't fully understand what's going yeah. on. But have you found that to be particularly difficult for yourself? Because, I mean, when did you first start getting symptoms? Did you did you have an idea it was fibro then? or? I don't know, to be honest, because I've been in pain for a long time, like for basically my whole life. I don't remember a time when that's I a lo- didn't that's have That's a lovely that. quote, isn't it? <laughs> um, I don't remember a time where I didn't have pain like in my knees or in my back. Um, I used to be really like sporty. I played hockey and soccer and I did karate and dance and so many different things. Um, wow. But I was always in pain and the doctors were just telling me to stretch more and that I was growing and it was growing pains. And I, it just got worse progressively. So I don't know when it became fibro or if it was always fibro or I don't know. So is there a specific trigger that can cause it or is it just one of those things that can just... Yes. Oh, there is. Yes. Uh, it can be random. It can also be uh, hereditary. It can also be triggered by a trauma. It can be like an operation or a any kind of trauma really yeah i think that's pretty much it it's not just a completely random event there are things that can cause it but it's not fully understood what it is at the same time too yeah wow obviously i'm not trying to treat you like you're you're the know-it-all uh miss fibro over here but you know if there's like (laughs) any more studies going into it that look that look promising about how it works because it seems through a lot of conditions now that we're learning about but we don't know enough about to actually get onto realistic solutions yeah i don't know to be <laughs> honest i have no idea i've been i mean i'm always researching always trying to find new ways to 
manage it and see if there's you know interesting research out there but i haven't found much that is like really recent i see and it's your diagnosis of it is that like confirmed now by a doctor or is it just something that you've had to label yourself because you haven't been told anything else yeah i know about my doctor and did he know what it was properly as well because i found with cfs that i've personally seen my doctor google that which was the most <laughs> the most heart-dropping thing is to be like yeah that's <laughs> doctor i have cfs and they're like hang on let me just let me just google that and you're like, yeah, I can, I can tell you the Wikipedia page if you want. Yeah, I've had that happen. Oh. Um, not with my doctor at the moment, because he's he's always been my doctor basically mm. since I became an adult. Um, he was my mom's doctor, so he became mine. But since I moved to the UK, I didn't have him anymore, so I used um, my visa over there. Right. So I saw a few different doctors before, like finding one that would listen. Uh, but yeah, I did have a few appointments with a few different doctors that were like Googling wow. what it was. and Yeah, and you know, it's just going to be one of those appointments when they go, yeah, that looks uh, chronic. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one of those pretty much useless appointments. <laughs> have you found people to be understanding of your condition that you talk to? Like, would you say you bring it up with people or do you often like not not let them know? Um, it depends on the people, but I'm not I'm not scared to bring it up. Like I will bring it up, but I just don't like that uh, people go Google it and then they come back to me and they're like, "Oh, it doesn't seem that bad. You've got this." I'm like, "Okay, oh. thank you." Do they almost? Because I found it with CFS that sometimes people just almost it feels like they're wanting to help, but what it ends up being is they sort of trivialize the issue a little bit. Yes, because it makes them feel awkward, so they just like. Oh, you'll be up. You'll be fine. Trying to make you feel better, but it's not really how it works. <laughs> no, no, it's not. And yeah, I've seen because you've got um, a blog, right? And that's where you kind of put a bit more yes. of your thoughts about it on there. It's it's invisibly chronic, I think, isn't it? Yes, same thing as the Instagram. As the Instagram, and the brilliant thing about yeah. YouTube is I'll flash a little thing up that will show you, so you can go to it, and it will also be in the description too, so you can check it out on there. You know, uh, this conversation isn't limited to one aspect, Alexa. You've got like a, a nice little range of things which you're having to deal with, right? And and <laughs> yes. I, I want to know a bit more a about nice them. nice sort of range, yes. That's what you, you got, like to put it. It's like a pick and mix. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's just less pleasant. This is how you put it in your bio. I've read a bit more about what these are, but there's people who might read it and go, oh, what's that about? So you've got GAD, PD, and a metaphobia. Mm-hmm. So to me, that just sounds like a bunch of letters. So mm-hmm. I'm very, I want to know. Yeah, what because are. it didn't fit in the bio. <laughs> I have to just. <laughs> I see. It, so GAD, you'll see why it didn't fit. Is generalized anxiety disorder. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that's a big word. Yeah, and the PD is panic disorder, mm-hmm. and then emetophobia. Of that. I mean, emetophobia doesn't help me any more than before. That's I... uh, that's um basically irrational fear of vomiting i see wow that's a trio so are they also things that have been with you as long as you know fibro has or uh, would you say they're related or not i don't know they could be because i know Mm. anxiety and stress is also a trigger for fibro flares and um but i don't know i've 
been anxious my whole life. I think it's just in my blood. My mom is, my granddad mm -hmm. is, it's just, you know. But for the panic disorder and the emetophobia, that started more when I think I was around 10. Uh, mm -hmm. It was like one evening I was sick. I didn't make it to the toilet. And apparently I was old enough to be able to make it to the toilet. And I was sick on the stairs and I was made to clear it up. So oh, after no. that, I was just always panicking about being sick and where I was going to be sick oh, and how it was going to. So, yes. So you think it's all like pinpointed to a, to a sort of slightly traumatic experience when you were 10? I think that my immunophobia and panic disorder are definitely related to that incident. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I've been in therapy a few times and that's what we came to the conclusion of. I see. And don't you find it surely quite interesting that such a such a thing that can influence your life, such a big thing that's quite uh, conceptual too. It's not, you know, this panic disorder and emetophobia aren't just like, oh, well, we can see that if you look at that, your finger mm. there, we can tell that you've got yeah. it. It's such a conceptual thing. But isn't it strange how it comes from one experience? You know, these things yes. can sort of come out. And especially when you're 10. And it's not a big experience either. It's like, you know, it's being sick. It's mm. just that this particular time, it really traumatized me. And then yeah. from then on, my brain is just always thinking that something's going to happen. I'm going to be sick. And... Do you think... Because I've heard people say that they have anxiety. What do you think is different between when people sometimes say they have anxiety is sort of like a bit of a half pun? You know, I've definitely heard people go like, oh, I don't know, I've, I've got anxiety. And then you mm -hmm. hear like general anxiety disorder. So what would, what would you say is actually the difference between those? Well, I think anxiety is normal, like healthy anxiety, like, you know, going to a job interview. It's normal to be anxious when you're going to a job interview or something like that. Um, but when you have yeah. a generalized anxiety disorder, it's basically controlling your whole life. It's your, your thoughts are just running wild all the time. It's for everything. It's not just for like specific events that would call for anxiety, for example. Right, I see. And when have you found that to be like a, a problematic thing for you? It's problematic with food, eating, because uh -huh. it's re it's related to my panic disorder and my emetophobia as well. But it was also for me, uh, my anxiety disorder is also social. So like going out right, just outside of my house is <laughs> like scary. <laughs> yeah, basically just, you know, seeing people out there. Yeah. Do you ever have like a, a split consciousness about it though? Because is there like a part of your brain that kind of says, you know, hey, Alexia, you know, you know that there's no real danger out there, like what's going on? And then there's also yeah. that part of you which is overwhelmingly telling you that you need to panic. Yes, that's exactly it. There's like, there's the real me and then there's the brain that does everything it wants. Would you say that there's any uh, things that have actually been helpful for you? Because uh, there'll be a lot of people listening to this as well who will have fibro or maybe will have uh, general anxiety disorder, panic disorder, metaphobia. I know that's quite a bloody range of things, but is there anything in particular which have you found to be helpful for you? Yes, there are a few things that help me manage everything. So there's meditating. Um, I'm not very good at it these days. I don't do it often, but 
in the past, when I was more consistent at it, it did help a lot. And I'm trying to get back into it more. I've been doing it for like two, three days in a row now. Um, also, breathing exercises for anxiety and panic. It helps a lot, like belly breathing. It helps regulate your nervous belly system. Belly breathing? Yes. YouTube it. <laughs> I will. Um, I've never heard of belly breathing. I think I'm a... I like to keep my breathing in my chest. Thank you very much. I know that's what my lungs are, so I'm kind of scared to breathe anywhere else. <laughs> um, so basically, when you when you always like shallow breathing from your just your chest, it doesn't bring as much oxygen to your brain as when you breathe through you expand through your belly. I see. All right, and that's when is that the same kind of stuff? Do you yeah. think when they say tell singers to like sing from their diaphragm? It sounds like a similar thing. Yes. Yes, ah. I would think it would probably be similar. Oh, so you're not claiming to be a singer as well. That's unfortunate. I was, I was hoping we were going to get a ballad at the end of this podcast. I'm, not, I'm really not. <laughs> <laughs> you can always hope, but nope, I'm not a singer. Um, what else has helped? Um, cannabis. cannabis. Cannabis has helped a lot. I have a medical prescription now. Yeah, I definitely see that's a common theme that you have on your Instagram about how that's actually helped you, which... It's really interesting because I've heard about CBT before and I'm quite naive to it. I just know people say it can be good for like um, like arthritis and that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. Is it like just like a pain reliever? How does it work? Um, it helps with a lot of different things. It's anti-inflammatory. It helps with the pain. It helps with uh, regulating your sleep. Yeah, wow. it's, it's actually really good. And, you know, with the CBD and... Uh, THC, you can always like get the nice dosage for you so that you don't feel high. It just helps your pain, so that's good. See, is is cannabis like then therefore like what what would you say is the difference between cannabis and CBD? Do they both achieve the same results? So it so it's two different things. Basically, in the cannabis plant, you can have THC and CBD, and they're the two different compounds. But they also divide in like a lot of different other compounds. But the main ones are CBD and THC. CBD is the one that doesn't get you high. Um, it's the one that most people take in like oil mm -hmm. form or, you know, it's pretty legal everywhere. Uh, the other one is THC. That's the one that does get you high. But I find that having the both of them together helps the pain and the nausea and all of that the best. I see. And that's, can you get that legally within Canada? Yes. I see. That's, that's obviously, that must be a big help then. Therefore, you're not getting in, <laughs> in any trouble because of something which is very helpful towards your medical condition. Yeah, it was a, I mean, it could have been a problem when I was in the UK, but it wasn't. <clears throat> yeah. Sorry. Um, that was yeah, a, no, that was a, that was a strategic cough. That's what that was. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Um, but yeah, now that I'm back in Canada, I'm really happy because I get it for one, much cheaper, for two, much safer. And now I have an actual prescription and I can't get in trouble for it. Uh, and have you found that this, because recently it's been become more accepted, right, to use things like cannabis or, or CBD for medical things. But have you noticed a sort of more openness towards it over the past couple of years? I haven't been using it for really long maybe a few years but i have found that people are more open to it more and more like there's a lot of stigma still and people that judge and that still think it's like shooting up heroin or something 
but people are getting around to it and there's more and more research done mm-hmm. about it and I think we'll get there. Is it, is it a conversation <laughs> you've ever had with like a like a grandparent or a great-grandparent? Not with my grandparents. Mm-hmm. They've, well, I haven't really talked to them about it. Like they don't know about my Instagram account or my blog, I don't think. Um, I've had difficult conversations with my mom about it but she's really come around to it she's like now helping me with it and wanting to learn more about it but i have had like some weird conversations with other people not in my family but some other people were like close to me that have some strong opinions about it but I just try not to get too much into it because I know that some people have like such strong opinions yeah. about it. There's nothing you can say that's going to make them change yeah. their minds. So I usually just go like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, especially at like mind. Christmas dinner, right? That's like the best time or, or those things, yeah, those conversations. You just have to be like, like yep, you're right. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to eat my food. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of glad with the with the pandemic since I came back to Canada. I haven't had to go to like a family yeah. thing or, you know, because no one can see True. anyone. So there are benefits. I got myself out of that <laughs> for now. We'll see how it goes when the whole family is there and they start talking about my cannabis consumption. Who knew for people who have general anxiety disorder uh, and smoke weed, that in fact uh, a lockdown can actually be somewhat beneficial. It is. <laughs> I can stay home in my bed. What about other solutions then? Because uh, you, I seen recently on your Insta you had something called what's it called? Like tens? And you had like some tens notes machine. on your back. Yes, it's like little electrodes that you put around your pain. Either you can put it anywhere. I think. Um, and you can either put like two or four, or I think some machines have more, but mine is smaller. Um, and it basically, I don't fully know what it does to be 100% honest with you, but I know it sends some kind of current or a signal to your nerves to help reduce the pain and it actually works. So. That's wow, good. it's incredible. It's like some Robocop stuff that you yes, know we got going but on nowadays. As soon as it comes off, though, pain is back. So That's interesting. Yeah. So if you really wanted to have the full effect, you just have to be noted up all the time. Yeah, exactly. Well, it says you can use it for like longer periods of time, I think up to 36 hours, but it's not that easy to carry yeah. around. Like it says it's meant to be put in a pocket and you can walk around with it, but the... Uh, I can't remember what it's called. Yeah. The cables, the little cables always like come uh, off. I see. So you'll have it in your pocket and then one of the things will disconnect and then you'll be like, oh my God, it's painful. Why? And then you check and it's because the thing is not plugged in anymore. I mean, obviously that's difficult with, with portability, but I really like to hope that technologies like that get continued to get funded and worked on because it does sound like such, yeah, yeah, it's it's really like such cool. a, a strange miracle products that exist. I mean, obviously they don't, I'm not trying to claim that they solve everything and I assume even with them on that you still have plenty of other issues, but it's it's a good step, right? Yeah, they help a lot. It's a really good step because I was really surprised. It was the first time I was trying it yesterday. I've mm. had it for like a few weeks now, but I just haven't gotten around to YouTubing how to use it safely. So I finally did it yesterday and <laughs> it was it was really surprising. It worked so well, so, so well. But it's weird that as soon as one of the thing comes off, you feel it straight away that the pain is like back and strong. 
Yeah, it, it is strange. And I've seen, you know what it reminds me of? I don't know if you've seen this video. Um, there's this new technologies that are come out for people who have Parkinson's disease, but it, they're hooked up with these, if I remember rightly, they're hooked up with these electrodes. It was an old man and he had, he had it quite bad. I remember his hands were really, really trembling and the machine that he was hooked up to would, would kind of send or fix the electronic signals going from his brain to his muscles because wow. usually they used to think and this might be the wrong way so don't take this as fact but they used to think that the problem was this the, the signal going from the brain to the muscle when in reality we've learned more recently it's going back from the muscle to the brain and it ends up with this like problematic Ooh. circuit of some kind of it assuming that it's there and, and then that's, that's what causes the tremors so the the machine then would fix that and as soon as it turns on within two seconds of it turning on the man had no tremors just completely gone this old wow. man who was completely shaking that's isn't crazy. it and that but it's but it just reminds yeah. me because as soon as it's turned off again uh only a few seconds later he starts shaking once more yeah came like back. just completely and it's it really works but you have to always have it on yeah it's 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 interesting how we're learning more about these like you said was it musculoskeletal sort of conditions that yeah. that seem to all be caused by you know e electric uh, neurons and well that's not the yeah, right word it to seems use to be in the nerves yeah in the nervous system somewhere there's a a crack <laughs> yeah it's a good way of it's putting not working it. properly it's difficult to identify i suppose as well it's probably why it's never really been as understood till it is now even in just slightly better because how are you going to notice like 50 years ago really if you got a problem with like one little nerve with a little electron 50 years ago really if you got yeah it's so specific it is it's crazy yeah yeah and i'm sure you know more than anyone else about how that is um <laughs> you also brought up in one of your earlier posts that you were trying to uh microdose you're using uh, psilocybin mushrooms yes yes i did that for a bit and I want to do it again. Oh, okay. So you found it useful. Yes. So useful. Uh, it was amazing to be honest. Like every microdose day was like the best day. <laughs> <laughs> like a little Christmas, a little expensive Christmas. Yeah. And like, it doesn't make you feel like you're tripping or anything. It's really so, so, so small of a dose. It just, it's just really uplifting and uh, it it really helps with focus and creativity. It really it really motivated me to be honest. I'm not gonna lie. Like when I did take it, I felt so motivated. Really? So wow. So it, like, it actually yeah. impacts your not just as well as your like f physical feeling, but like your mood as well. Yeah, because it's um it it ups your serotonin levels. So I think that's why. So it's a little bit like a an antidepressant at the same time. Yes. So I want to get back to it, but it's hard to acquire. Yeah, I can imagine because I suppose that stuff is a lot less, uh, you know, above board market. To, you can't just go to your local your local Tesco, right? No. <laughs> but I think it's worth mentioning before I uh, before I get in trouble from some people is that, you know, this stuff is, is obviously experimental, right? Like I'll yeah. let you mention it for yourself, but I assume one of the reasons why you're trying this stuff isn't out of just like, you know, fuck it, I'll give it a go. It's it's very much because of desperation, right? When it comes with these conditions, that you wanna, you're you're more likely to try more extreme ways to to try and help the condition. Yeah, yeah, I'll try anything. To be honest, I've also thought of trying um, microdosing LSD. 
Mm-hmm. Because I've heard really good things about it for panic disorders and anxiety disorders as well. But that's the same as psilocybin. It's, it's not, you need to do a bit more research to be able to get it and be sure what you're getting. Like I know in the US, they, they've started doing some, some research with psilocybin. I think it was legalized in Oregon, wow. like not too long ago for like medical treatment. Yeah. So it's cool. It does sound cool. I find it interesting that things like microdosing, that was a thing which I believe was was looked at in the 50s and 60s, right? It was sort of like a, mm-hmm. a they sort of came a bit more into Western culture. A lot of hippies were using it. It got um, researched a little bit further. And then there was that whole war on drugs thing that came along and that, that whole yeah, thing just kind of got scrapped. It all stopped the whole research of like of everything cannabis and all the other things that can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. And when the war on drugs started, it just stopped everything. And it's just now that, like, they're starting to research again and see that it can be legalized and it's not, like, the devil. It can be. Yeah, yeah, it's not the devil. That's an interesting (laughs) thing. I mean, there are certain, personally, there should be classifications of drugs for ones that can be helpful for people and ones that are just straight up, you know, you shouldn't really be taking that because I don't believe that things like... uh, like cocaine should be yeah, anywhere near the same yeah. level of danger aspect to something like cannabis. No, no, no. <laughs> I agree with you. I really agree. And it's also worth mentioning that like even cannabis and psilocybin mm-hmm. and all that, it's, it, it's not good for everyone. Like I know that some people just, it, it doesn't do anything for them. And that's fine too. Um, to each their own. Is there anything that you found that people don't understand about your condition or conditions, uh, but you wish that they would upon meeting you? Yeah, well, it's that they're all invisible, basically. Unless, like, you see me right now in my bed, um, (laughs) then you'll probably know that Mm -hmm. something is not 100% right. But if I go out in public, then I'm not going to show it. So it's invisible, no one knows, and... It's just, I guess, to get people to understand more that a lot of illnesses are, in fact, invisible and that just because you're out yes. doing something doesn't mean that you're actually not ill. Like, you know, posing for pictures or, I don't know, just living your life, you know? Having, it doesn't mean yeah. that you're not sick anymore. It's just that you have to you have to keep doing things or else, you know, you have to push through even if you feel like crap. Yes. Yeah. And it seems the people who do make, and I don't, I want to use the word recovery lightly, but I will use it. Um, there tend to be the optimistic types who, who are very much, you know, pushing forward. And beforehand you brought up, you know, you were a very active person. You did a lot of sports. You seem to have this mindset of, you know, wanting to get through things. You've been very active on your Instagram with supporting other people. And I think that kind of mindset of, all right, guys, you know, we got this. I, I want to get on it. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to try these things. I know they're not fully like 100% certain, but I'm going to go in there. Let's give it a go. I think it's those people who end up being the ones who can come out the other side and tell their stories. Yeah, well, I hope so. <laughs> it's nice of you to say that. But what made you as well want to use that your Instagram sort of information for people who don't know a lot about the illness? Yeah, I guess it was just because I had no one in my life that could understand it. And it was when the pandemic started, I was diagnosed uh, right before the pandemic started. And then afterwards, I didn't have a job anymore. So I was like, 
I'm stuck at home, no one understands me, I just felt like shit, so I decided to do this Instagram page, I didn't tell anyone, I just decided I'm just gonna write anything and everything I feel like writing and just be free and not tell my family or friends or anyone, it's just gonna be for me and people of the chronic illness community, and then I ended up telling my family, and they were very supportive, so... That's good. But yeah, that's what got me to do it is that I was, I felt lost, basically. I just, um, yeah. I wanted to, to just write some stuff down, everything that was in my head. And then I found this huge community on Instagram that I didn't even know existed. And I learned so much on so many different conditions. It's crazy since I started my Instagram. Yeah, well, I want to say that you've done a brilliant job at educating people and I feel all the more better knowledgeable for it. And it's brilliant to learn about other people who, although they have different conditions, often have very similar struggles, right? Yes, it's so true. We can all relate, even if we don't have the same conditions, I feel like. Yeah, I agree. And we can all we can all laugh at the same chronic illness memes. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of, it helps, right? Yes, it does. It really does. <laughs> so is there anything else you'd like to bring up before I wrap this bad boy up? Mm, I don't think so. No, it's be one of those things. You think about it afterwards. But if you did, I mean, you know, people yeah. are going to, you've got a blog. People can go always go on there and check out things that you said. You know, you, it's not, you yeah. mentioned about obviously your experiences with cannabis. You you even have like workout things that you have on there, you know, and, and also you bring up other people's experiences too. I felt very privileged that you let me write a blog for your blog page as well. So I want to thank you for that and opening up the borders for, for more people. Well, that's nice. Thank you for sending me your story. It's been really nice. People seem to be really liking it. Too. That's good. And I would bring up your Instagram, but I think I've brought it up about seven times already, haven't I? Yes. <laughs> Instagram, blog, anywhere else? No, that's pretty much it. That's it. That's the full yes. works. That's all you need, guys. You'll find her. She's on. She's if you if you follow me, she'll you know. There. There's a big community of people <laughs> out there. She's there. It's like Kevin Bacon. She's always five links away. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. Thank you very much, Alexia. Thank you for your time. Thank you.